Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you guys, especially because our furnace is broken at home. So super happy to be here. Shiree's might be here for a long time today. <clears throat> Would you pray with me before we dig in? Dear God, we need your help and we ask for your help and we expect your help uh, during this series on family. We pray that you would help us listen hard to what you have to say to us and that each one of us in some way would intentionally take some steps to invest in whatever kind of family that you've given us. And as we as a church face the reality that families come in so many different kinds of forms these days, would you help us understand deeply, God, that you are for us and not against us? that you love us just where we are and you want the very best for us and our families. We think about those in this room who have been affected by divorce, those of us who wish we were married, those of us who are widowed or struggling with aging and illness, those of us who are in the midst of the hard daily work of raising kids, especially single parents, God. And we pray that you would help us to all hear some words of hope this morning. And God, we know and we recognize that some of us find ourselves in very tough family places this morning, struggling with what feels like hopeless marriages or in families that feel completely broken and beyond hope. More of us than we realize are struggling either to have children or struggling with our children. And there are many in this room who are simply heartbroken about their family for whatever reason. And so for all of us who struggle, we ask you to bring the healing and the hope that only your spirit can bring. Father, forgive us for where we've messed up in our families because we've all messed up. Forgive us for choosing selfishness or laziness over service and sacrifice. Forgive us for all the times, probably even this morning before we arrived, where we've put ourselves and our needs ahead of others. Father, we believe that you care deeply for us and our families, so please speak to our hearts and our minds in these minutes and help us, each one of us, leave here resolved to take one more step closer to being a better family member, and we need your help. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this second week of this series called Homework, and I hope that you were here last week and heard Dave Bartlett you know, lead us out on this series. If you weren't, I encourage you to listen online. It was Dave Bartlett at his best. And he left us with this question, with this kind of assignment, not only to work on our family mission statement, but go home and ask the question, how can I help you to the people in our families or whoever it is that we live with? And I wondered how many of you did that. I I didn't really ask the question, but I kind of asked the kids what I could make them to eat, which was close enough. And so I made them um, these pepperoni pizza paninis, which, may I just say, were outstanding. They got high marks, did they not? But it did bring up a bad family memory of when I made um, what was called pizza rice in the crock pot. I think it came from a church cookbook. And I thought it was, it set itself up to be outstanding. Rice, pizza sauce, pepperoni and mozzarella cheese. How could you ruin that? Who would ruin that? Stick it in the crock pot, cook it all day, your family will love it. I stuck it in the crock pot, cooked it all day. It came out in some kind of gloppy mess. And I put it on the plates of my family and the plates of my husband, and they all just kind of looked over at me like, and I said, you eat that pizza rice. You eat that pizza rice right now. It was terrible. 
It was just terrible. So, so, you know, I was thinking about that. Dave talked last week about how there are no perfect families in the Bible. He listed some funny examples of their imperfections. And I'm here to tell you that there are no perfect families on staff or in leadership at Orchard Hill Church. For instance, my one plea to my family this morning was, please sit toward the back. My family's so far toward the front that they're ahead of me here. I don't know. I think that's what happens when you come late. Am I right? Sorry. So, so, you know, even just thinking about this whole idea of creating a family mission statement, I don't know how that has hit you all, but just in my own life, I've found myself somewhat fearful of this assignment. Would my family cooperate? You know, would this assignment generate good conversation or arguments? You know, and, and we are also in this time of intense change as a family, as our kids are older. You know, one daughter who's living off on her own, praise the Lord, uh, she has a salary and everything. We're so thrilled. We high-fived when we learned about that. Our, our second daughter is going back to school up in Maine, and our son is about to launch, you know. And so how, how on earth do we create a mission statement as a family when we're all at such different stages of life and such different stages of faith? <clears throat> and I was thinking we could just make it easy and adopt the statement I saw on Facebook, be the person your dog thinks you are. I thought that would be an outstanding mission statement. Some of you can borrow it if you want to take it, but I thought that was too easy. You know, and so instead, uh, despite my fear, I, I was, you know, we were able to have some pretty good conversations for our family. Chuck and I and the two girls and I have talked. Will's a little busy right now, so we haven't been able to have our talk about this but you know when i find i drop my own agenda and i just listen to the people that i live with and that i love uh i learn so much about what they want for our family as the years go on so just here's our starting here's our starting draft and it comes from a favorite um, scripture of chuck's and mine from the prophet micah and it's just a rephrasing of what micah said but you know i thought this is a great start for us do justice love kindness Walk with God and kind of in a New Jersey accent and you better be humble about it. I thought that was a good. So that's our beginning and we're going to go from there and I think the kids are going to add some things and we'll see how we do. So I want to say to you, don't be scared. If, you know, if, if you picked up this little book, it has great questions in it that can guide some good conversations. If you're a pusher like me of your own agenda, maybe just drop back a little bit. If you're a passive person who's not even going to remotely do this, maybe try to step up and, and, and get some discussions started. And be honest with each other and be real. But try to shoot beyond yourself a little too. Let your mission statement be something that takes you to a better place. So I want to remind you, if you haven't picked up one of these booklets, to grab one on your way out. There's some great stuff in there. Um, lots of different kinds of families um, and their mission statements and, and how those look, and they're all different. And I just wanted to remind you too that if this is something you'd like to do and it's something we're really encouraging you to do, when you have your family mission statement, even in a rough form, on the 27th of January, we're going to, as a church family, bring those mission statements up and place them before the cross as, as, as a, a sacrifice um, to God. And then we'll have to, of course, keep a copy at home so we rem- remember what was written on there. And so we invite all of you, no matter what form your family takes right now, to join us for the next few weeks as we think hard about living intentional lives within the midst of our families. I want to remind you of the verse that we're embedding this whole series in from the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. 
And he gives these really strong words, I think. Be very careful, he says in Ephesians 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Or as Eugene Peterson translates that, these are desperate times. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the goal of this series, it may be a bit lofty, but this is our goal as a church, is that we want to help all the families represented in here by all of you to intentionally take steps that will make our families more centered on God, more fun, more peace-filled, and more connected. Wouldn't that be good? But we acknowledge our surroundings. We acknowledge the world that we live in. There is a professor of family and youth culture named Chap Clark who said this, He said, we are a culture that has forgotten how to be together. We've lost the ability to have unstructured downtime. Given our whirlwind of activities, the time available anymore for family members to be connected gets whittled down to a few minutes a day. Get this, on average, young people spend up to 10 hours a day plugged into some kind of social media. So maybe you want to just write your family mission statement by text message or something. I don't know what what that is. But lest any of us who are adults feel superior that we're not connected in that kind of a way, get this, 25% of adults polled in a recent national survey said that for $10 million, they would abandon their entire family. Some of you are thinking, $10 million. <laughs> So we're called to be families that honor God in the midst of all of this, all of us, married, unmarried, with children or without, with grown children, living on our own, whatever it is, family life, if we treat it as such, can be a furnace of transformation. It can be the place where we can become like Christ, a furnace of transformation, some of you are thinking. Yes, the Christmas season was a furnace, all right, a furnace of the flames of hell. Maybe we felt a little bit like this lion in this picture. I've put this on Facebook before when I've been frustrated with my family. So one of the things I don't think we talk enough about and honestly about sometimes in the church is what to do in our families when something is broken. How do we, as followers of Jesus, approach our family life when we take an honest look at it and we think to ourselves, something's got to change. This is not how I want this to be going. And so I want to ask you, if you remember Dave's slide, I I brought it back just for us to look at at it, where he talked about this tension that exists between our current reality And the ideal that we all have and that the church has in our mind about what a family should look like. There's just this tension between those two things. And we too often think, I believe, in the church that God blesses and is happiest with families who look good, who are successful, who fit the ideal. And we think that way, you see, because that's the way the world around us thinks. Uh, um, and it makes us think, the more I I thought about this, that if we're not embedded in the teachings of Jesus, we start to think that that's the way God works. God loves those whose lives are pulled together. God is with those who have fixed all of their problems. God is blessing families who are confident in their own family goodness. 
But the, the problem with that is that's not how Jesus said things work in the kingdom of his father. In his most famous sermon, found um, in the Gospel of Matthew, most extensively, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Some call this Jesus' inauguration speech. He's really setting up the ethics of the kingdom. And he begins this sermon in Matthew chapter 5 with one of the most profound truths of the kingdom. This is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that word for poor means the poorest of the poor. It means those kinds of people who know they are helpless without God's help. The people listening would have known that what Jesus meant there were the kinds of people that the world called failures. Jesus blesses broken people, people who in the world's opinion and even in their own opinion do not measure up. And Jesus blesses broken families. And that word blessed, which is also a bit hard to translate it, I think we struggle to know what that means, means in essence that what Jesus was saying to them was that God is with you and God is on your side. And you heard that last week from Dave if you were here, that no matter what your family looks like or what you've been through or how badly you or someone in your family has messed up, we here at Orchard are with you and we are on your side. And what Jesus is saying here in the Gospel of Matthew is my Father is with you and he is on your side. And apparently, the good news of the gospel of Jesus has something to do with the fact that God desperately wants human beings to know that he is especially with us when we feel like failures, when our lives are a hot mess. And so, though the world will say to you, blessed are you when you are at this ideal place, Jesus is saying to people, blessed are you when you are in your own reality and you know you are not even close to the ideal. God will not abandon you when you are in brokenness. And so I just felt like I needed to clarify all that before I really dug in because we do not approach our family problems from a worldly point of view. And so here's what I want to say to those of us who are thinking When we think about our family, something's got to change. The first thing is this. God meets your family in the place of its deepest brokenness. There's a writer named uh, Robert Mulholland. He's a professor of the New Testament. And he said this, and I wrote it in your bulletin because I think it's really important for us to remember. He said the process of becoming conformed to the image of Christ, the process of becoming like Jesus, takes place primarily at the points of our unlikeness to Christ's image. So the place where you and I are most unlike Jesus is the place where God wants to work most powerfully in our lives. God is present to us in the most destructive places of our brokenness. God meets us in those places in our lives that are most alienated from him. God is there in grace, offering us the forgiveness and the cleansing and the liberation and the healing that we need. 
And so despite what the world pushes us to believe, which is that God is really only with the people who look like they have it together, God doesn't abandon people in those places of our deepest darkness. And our problem is we don't believe this is true. And so we don't live as if it was true. We don't believe what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, that God is for us and with us when we are broken. We don't really believe in the end in radical, life-changing, unconditional grace, especially when it comes to our families. So too many of us in the church live in denial about what we're struggling with. And we hope no one will notice. And we hope things will magically fix themselves if we keep just doing the same thing. When what God really wants us to do is to be honest. To be honest with ourselves, to be honest with our family, and to be honest with him. He specializes in working in those places where we are most broken. That child who's wandering in the far country of sin and rebellion, that affair, that marriage that is failing or has failed, that addiction, that agony of wanting a child or wanting a spouse or just wanting out, whatever it is, we need to name it. And we need to pray about it. And we need to reflect in God's presence in the light of his word. And we need to make a plan. And we need to ask for friends to surround us. And we need to work the plan. And then we need to trust God to do what he does best. Paul, who who struggled with something, kind of we don't really understand what it was. He called it a thorn in his flesh. Begged God to take it away from him. It was a place of brokenness in his life. But he wrote this about what God said to him after he begged God to take it away from him. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, Paul's saying, but this is what God said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, God says, is made perfect in your weakness. What if it really is true That right in the midst of our weaknesses, right in that place where our families are most broken, that is the place where God wants to demonstrate his redemptive, reconciling, healing power. What if that is not just a nice Bible verse? What if that is the real life, nitty gritty, down in the trenches truth of family life? Dallas Willard said, the address of God is at the end of your rope. Isn't that good news? So when something's got to change, the scriptures tell us that is exactly the place where God most wants to meet you. But here's the tougher truth. If you want change in your family, you have to start with yourself. Quick little caveat here. If you're in a physically or emotionally or sexually abusive relationship, which statistics would tell us people in here are, the way you start with yourself is to get out until that person gets help. Is is everyone clear on that? Because I'm not going to continue with this part and just let people who are being abused think that they're doing something wrong and that's why they're being abused. So that's my real, real big exception to this statement. If you're being abused, 
get out and tell that person who's abusing you, get some help. And we at the church can help you with that. So now for the rest of us, no matter what needs to change in your family, the only place you can start with yourself. And this sounds a little bit like psychobabble that we might hear on the John Tesh radio show, which is a radio show I get very many helpful pieces of advice about. But listen to what the scriptures tell us in this very unlikely place. I I, I discovered this in some reading I did for my Advent teaching in December, but I didn't get a chance to use it. And so I'm so excited that I can pull it out now. Matthew chapter 1. Joseph has figured out that his uh, betrothed, his fiancée, is pregnant outside of their marriage. And, uh, you know, he's thinking he's going to quietly leave her. And then the angel comes to him. And this is what it says, Matthew, start with verse 20. The Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then listen to this. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which literally means God saves because he will save his people from their sins. Now listen to this. This is what a a theologian named Frederick Dale Bruner writes. He said, this expression that Jesus will save his people from their sins is so familiar to us in 21st century America that we fail to see how shocking it was to the Jewish people who heard this, that this is what the angel had said to Joseph. Because this statement that Jesus would save his people from their sins was completely contrary to their expectations for who the Messiah was and what the Messiah was going to do. If you remember, the Jews had been under three great bondages since the beginning of Scripture. The Egyptian bondage when they were slaves in Egypt, the Babylonian bondage, and now they were under the bondage and the oppression of the Roman government. And so they believed that the Messiah would deliver them from their enemies. And from their enemies' sin, they were not thinking in any way that the Messiah needed to save them from their own sin. What? But the truth is, we learn in Matthew, that the Messiah's primary work was going to be, first of all, to save his own people from their own internal evils. I will save my people from their sins. God was not going to allow his children to continue to stay focused on their external enemies. And he was not going to allow them to keep blaming other people for their failures to live the way he had called them to live. Think about this. When you look at the broken places in your family, large or small, if you are like me, you very often name other names as the source of that brokenness or that problem other than yourself, right? I mean, if only my parents were cooler, I wouldn't be in such rebellion. If only my brother could pull himself together. If only my spouse took our spiritual life more seriously. If only my aunt didn't drink all the time. If only my kids were grateful for what I've done for them. If only all those other people could get their lives straight, then my family life would be good. If only God would save me from all those other people's sins. Yeah, that's right. It's everybody else's fault. But guess what? And I think this is a clear truth of scripture. It has to start with me. I'm the only person that I can convince to change. 
So quick little story, back, back to the holidays. I've never been a good uh, mom who uh, does the Advent candle lighting, the wreath thing very well. I, first of all, failed to get it out till like December 15th, and then we're like three weeks behind, and then we try to light the candles fast. It's almost always been a disaster. But not this year, but the year before, I was determined to make this work. I think it had something deep to do with how strong my faith was. So I got it out, and I forced my grown kids to light the candles. And bottom line is, my kids basically said to me, these words don't mean anything to us, Mom. Love, joy, peace, hope. Why do you even light the candle and say those words? Uh, people who have young kids, get ready for this, because it's going to come blasting at you. And I was devastated by that. I thought, what kind of kids have I raised? I don't have any faith. I was, I, it was made for a bad Christmas. Uh, but the more I thought about it throughout the year, I'm, the more I thought they have a great point. And if I could just get over myself and my needing for things to go my way and thus my inability to hear what they were actually saying, which painfully was something I actually believed too, I mean, it's not mere words that make us Jesus people in this world. Jesus even said, the people who are my mother and brothers and sisters are those who do the will of my father. Just look at our mission statement. My family mission statement, do justice. This is about action. And I thought, my kids are right, and I hate that. (laughs) So this year... I thought to myself, we're not going to do the same old Advent lighting. I thought each kid is going to bring the name of a charitable organization they want us to give some money to. They'll light the candle, name their organization, and we'll pray about that. So the girls each brought one. Will, in his brilliance, lit lit one candle with two matches and gave half of his money to both the girls' charities. Love that. Chuck and I had ours. And here's the beautiful thing. Tracy got back from South Africa. So one of her organizations that she wanted to give to was based in South Africa. January 3rd, we get a call from this brilliant man with a South African accent wondering why in the heck he was getting a check from this family in Iowa. And Tracy got to talk to him about her work, blah, 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 blah. Long story short, I was the one who had to change. But it took me a whole year to realize it. In the end... In the end, you know, if something's got to change in your family, you start with yourself. So blessed are you when your family is a hot mess. Because God is for you, and he's not against you. And he wants to work right in the place of your deepest brokenness and pain. That place where your family is most unlike the ideal is God's perfect place to start. And it has to start with you. You and I have to get real honest about our role in in the mess. And we need to confess it to God and to others. And we need to ask for forgiveness. And we need to repent, which basically means we need to turn from our past behavior and start living in new ways that honor God. And as we do all that, we need to trust that God is at work. And we need to ask him what we can do to move our family forward in ways that honor him and bring our family closer together and bring our lives greater joy. And then in his power, we need to do our part and watch him work. Let's pray. God, we live in a world that tells us that you are the kind of God who blesses people only who have their lives together. And so when our family lives become broken or messy, we get scared of you and we turn away and we live in shame and we live in denial and we try to hide things. And 
We keep, we keep you from doing your best work because we turn away. So God, would you help us this morning, whatever state we're in, to bring our brokenness to you, to trust you with it, to know that you're with us in it. And then tenderly, God, would you show us what role we're playing in the mess? And would you give us a new plan? And would you help us to do it? Amen.